So US President Donald Trump has said it's probably not the right time for him to visit North Korea, but uh, he could do some time in the future. It's all a little bit vague, and I don't know whether we can read much into John Bolton's presence or now absence as security advisor. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure whether he would, for example, have advocated Trump going to North Korea. Almost certainly not given his hawkish reputation but uh, his absence wouldn't necessarily have made a difference either it's just hard to see a u.s president on north korea's capital soil right now given the logistics involved but let's first welcome professor kim hyunuk from the korea national diplomatic academy to speculate what the bolton departure impact will be good morning to you good morning so we had this uh Lots of speculation, actually, in the last few days. But uh, first of all, were you surprised by Bolton's exit? Uh, well, I think, uh, uh, yes, I think his uh, departure was something that was surprised to many people, many experts, because uh, he was pretty much the core of the uh, Trump government's foreign policies. Um, maybe uh, because President Trump was uh, someone who came from the outside, and uh, doesn't really know the foreign policy issues. Uh, the first uh, uh, phase uh, foreign policy buildup of President Trump was uh, to to build something from the Republican Party tradition and got the slogan called the uh, Peace Through Strength, which is the foreign policy slogan of, uh, of uh, Reagan administration. So maybe he wasn't not very, uh, you know, uh, complaints about you know, the foreign policy issues, he, he didn't really know much about it. So I think, uh, you know, uh, the initial phase, the, uh, you know, Bolton was someone who took uh, care of President Trump. But I think uh, he thinks that he knows a little bit about foreign policy now. I think President Trump uh, is trying to use his negotiation, uh, you know, skills to uh, foreign policy issues. And uh, you know, uh, Bolton, who was a neocon person, uh, who wants to use a uh, very hawkish policy, even, you know, military strike for the value of American, you know, state, is uh, pretty much conflicting with uh, President Trump. I think that was the major reason. Right. So given that reputation, when President Trump appointed John Bolton, it looked like he would align with that kind of view. No one could have been surprised by any of those hawkish suggestions, given John Bolton's reputation. But did the uh, reality match up? What was John Bolton's actual role in shaping the Trump administration's North Korea policy, for example? Uh, In the negotiation with uh, North Korea, he uh, argued much about the uh, Libya model. Uh, Actually, you know, John Bolton was someone who took initiative in dealing with Libya and denuclearizing Libya. Uh, the outcome was definitely, you know, Gaddafi is expelled and killed by people of Libya. Um, and and second one, uh, of course, the Libya model means that, uh, you know, getting everything out of North Korea and into the soil of the United States, even scientists of North Korea, which is something that uh, would not be able to be accepted by North Korea. Uh, second, um, you know, policy of uh uh, Bolton towards North Korea, I think, is that uh, there should be denuclearization first before something would be given by the United States to North Korea. Uh, in contrast, North Korea argued that it should be step-by-step simultaneous approach. So these uh, 
policies of John Bolton was something that uh, always made a big gap between the United States and North Korea. I think that is one of the reasons that Trump didn't like. Maybe Trump wanted to have some kind of deal now. He's a dealmaker. Uh, maybe it might not be a good to apply his uh, you know, deal-making skills to foreign policy. But as he has a general election next year, I think uh, President Trump wants to make some kind of uh, you know, positive outcome in foreign policy issues so that he can uh, be in a, a you know, good position to be re-elected, I think. Well, he's often been seen as a deal-breaker, of course, President Trump, uh, or at least his administration, uh, where it relates to, for example, Iran. We'll be discussing some of the broader foreign mm-hmm. policy issues in a few moments. But but, but for now, um, do you think ultimately Bolton paid the price for the collapse of the Hanoi summit? And, and what do you think his responsibility for that was? Well, I think the major reason why the Hanoi summit was broken is not because of Bolton. Um, I think even in the process of making a draft agreement for the summit summit meeting in Hanoi was not enough. Uh, you know, the people in charge for the draft agreement was, uh, you know, Steve Began from the States and Kim Hyuk Chol from North Korea. And they talked and talked and, and the draft agreement that they have come up with was, uh, blank on the side, on, on the points of, uh, denuclearization, North Korean side. They did not, uh, you know, fill up the portion of denuclearization. Uh, that issue is something that should be uh, determined by Kim Jong Il. So that's why uh, Pompeo, the, the Secretary of State of the United States, Mike Pompeo, you know, flew into uh, Hanoi one day earlier to talk about these, uh, you know, uh, you know, a draft agreement with Kim Young Chol, who is in charge of all these North Korea issues in North Korea at the time. But Kim Young Chol did not meet uh, Mike Pompeo, and I think uh, that was that time that the United States realized that okay, North Korea is not ready to to denuclearize itself. Uh, draft agreement was not enough, so I think uh, it was uh, the role of uh, you know Bolton that became uh, very eminent at the time uh, to pressure North Korea to break the deal, uh, which was not enough to be you know uh, made at the time. So I think originally it was. Pretty much because of the shortage of, uh, you know, working level talk that broke the Hanoi summit, not Bolton's role. Yeah, I mean, the last few months we've certainly heard a lot more about the likes of Stephen Began and Mike Pompeo than than John Bolton. But given the fact that Bolton may have been somewhat sidelined for a little while, is it actually going to make any difference to North Korea's attitude on denuclearization, the fact Bolton's gone? Uh, I think that is making the deal positive. Now, um, because Bolton has been arguing for the Libya model, uh, and Bolton has been arguing for denuclearization first instead of uh, simultaneous approaches and step-by-step approaches, I think that the deal can be uh, much better than before. Uh, but still, I think the U.S. position is very firm that the sanctions should be, uh, you know, you know, the same and and continuously you know, maintained until. Uh, some substantial denuclearization of North Korea is completed. Um, so maybe I think uh, the U.S. can go back to Hanoi summit, which means that, uh, you know, right before the Hanoi summit, uh, you know, Steve Began's position was that uh, U.S. Uh, is accepting the North Korean approaches of simultaneous and step-by-step approaches. So at the time, if uh, North Korea denuclearizes first a little bit, uh, then uh, a little bit of uh, sanction lifting can be given by the states to North Korea. 
So maybe the U.S. can uh, go back to the position that it took in Hanoi uh, and then begin from that, which I think would be uh, very, very positive uh, uh, from the from North Korean side too. But the problem is that, uh, you know, maybe North Korea might request more than the U.S. can give to North Korea. Right. Uh, a lot of, lot of sanction lifting uh, demanded by North Korea. I think that kind of thing... You mean you mean very asymmetrical, uh, you know, request from each side can be a problem. Yeah. yeah, indeed, Professor Kim. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, North Korea's senior foreign ministry official, not named by state media, but uh, comments attributed to him were released yesterday, which suggested that it's the U.S. that needs to remove certain threats before denuclearization dialogue can take place. And it said that its position has always been clear. The irony there, of course, is that those threats were not specified at all, and, and we don't know specifically what they're talking about there. Uh, Sue Kim, former CIA analyst and currently policy analyst at the Rand Corporation, now joins us on the line, a former intelligence analyst for the CIA. Good morning to you. Hi. So uh, this situation right now, of course, is so complex because there's a lot more to U.S. foreign policy than just North Korea. Do do, do you think that when, for example, Trump said that him and Bolton strongly disagreed on major issues that he was referring at all to North Korea or or other areas? Well, I think that there are so many different factors that were coming at play that we have to really think about, you know, how this happened. And, you know, it's, it's that is actually less exigent than the backdrop of Bolton's departure and the national security challenges that we're facing right now. You know, with North Korea, the nuclear missile threats have only persisted with Kim launching missiles on a nearly weekly basis since July. South Korea decided to strap, uh, scrap its intel sharing agreement with Japan, and we just saw Iran launching cruise missiles against uh, Saudi Arabia's oil facilities. So irrespective of the strong views of John Bolton, I think that the absence of a dissenting voice somebody who can go against the predominant grain of the administration and present a counterbalance to the president's instincts, that voice is no longer there. So in short, I think this may presage policies heavily leaning towards the, shall we say, the predilections of the administration with a few checks and balances remaining. And given some of the decisions that we've seen from the administration, for instance, the, the normalization and the treatment of adversaries, if policies pose a fundamental threat to U.S. interests, the, the lack of a clear, consistent, punitive consequences for adversaries conducting political, economic, and cybersecurity warfare against the United States, and the absence of this national security advisor, particularly one who may have held opposing, perhaps controversial, counterweight views, you know, this indicates a continuation and perhaps an intensification of certain policies of the administration that may... I would say, in the long long run, run counter to U.S. interests. Right. I mean, we could argue, of course, that President Trump is going to use Bolton as a full guy and an opportunity to change tack here on North Korea. Uh, but but if you go back to his own fire and fury, that that seemed to be all Trump. That uh, that comment, that threat against North Korea, uh, and, and in fact, we're seeing since Bolton's departure. Similar rhetoric. He's just been tweeting about uh, Saudi Arabia after the attacks on a petroleum 
processing facility there, he used the words that the US is locked and loaded. Locked and loaded. I mean, if Bolton was in place, you'd think, oh, well, that's Bolton advising him. But, well, you can't blame that now, can we, on on John Bolton? No. Well, the thing is, I mean, I, this is this has been a an issue that has been pervading in the administration um, since the beginning. And this is I mean, John Bolton was the the third or fourth national security advisor. Uh, we are going with our second secretary of defense, uh, third uh, secretary of defense, and second secretary of state. So there's been so many. Uh, you know, the revolving door of the administration has really left um, little room for consistency messaging to to our allies and to our adversaries so no we cannot blame this entirely on you know the bolton factor being the the naysayer or the the the, the countervailing voice uh there's definitely something else that's at play and i would say that it's it's the 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 personal preferences of of the leadership and the the lack of a a consistent principles-based approach to to dealing with uh, not just the adversaries but in, in in respecting and and adhering to our, our, our long-held policies towards certain allies. One gets the feeling that when it comes to the role of an advisor in the Trump administration, there are perhaps some, some advisors behind the scenes who have a lot of influence on, on issues that maybe don't get a lot of attention. But, but these key hot-button, big foreign policy topics, one gets the impression that Trump still is shooting from the hip somewhat. I mean, what do you think really is the role of of, for example, Bolton before, or potentially Stephen Began, if he was to take that role, having already served in this key point man position on North Korea? Sure. Well, so without knowing too much about the, the intricacies of policymaking, one would speculate that the role of the NSA is you know, certainly one of privilege, but also a considerable amount of confidence. So to act as a neutral arbiter, to maintain balance, to provide the president with a policy recommendation in the best interests of the nation. Now, to me, that calls for the underlying prerequisite of having the president's trust. And it seems that this trust that's so fundamental to the NSA role was really on tenuous grounds. So in this case, the, the influence and power that, you know, those appear to come less from the, the person's position than, than the alignment of their policy positions with the administration. So it, it's, you know, to to adhere to or to to apply the the typical rules and expectations of particular titles and positions and ranks um, to this current administration, I think we are we'll, we will be at a loss in terms of predictions, in terms of assessments. Is our best method of prediction just looking at what it's most likely to appeal to Trump's support base? Uh, you know that. That's a, that's a very interesting question. I think that um, the, the challenge of answering that question directly, I think, is because at times it seems that the president himself is not consistent or, or fixed or rooted in, in his determination to, per, to pursue a policy. Um, even in the case of North Korea, we saw that when North Korea signaled intent or perhaps flashed a willingness to, to hold talks again with the United States, um, in light of Bolton's departure, we had assumed, or some of us have assumed, that this would signal, you know, resumption of talks and perhaps uh, some sort of, quote-unquote, progress toward resolving the North Korean nuclear issue. That was not entirely the case because we saw that 
President Trump just recently said that, you know, going to Pyongyang is not something that's going to be happening anytime soon. So um, I think that, again, it is based on his preferences, but at the same time, the preferences also seem to be sort of kind of changing at times, and it's not, it doesn't change according to any set of established you know, methods or, or, you know, something that we've actually been been, been looking at for a long time. So it's, it's quite unpredictable. Uh, I think the key is to, to really know the president. And I think that many of us think that we do based on, you know, our assessments and our observations of, of, his, of his tweets, of his decisions, of, of the way he's um, been um, selecting advisors. But again, even that has not been enough for us to really say, okay, this is what's going to happen next. And to to really have full confidence that our prediction slash forecasting is going to be accurate. Thank you very much for joining us as well today, Sue Kim. Thank you.